people assume that because the current nut milk on the market is so convenient that people aren't going to take the time to make their nut milk. I'm proving that wrong by showing that there are a lot of people who want to do it themselves and want to control their ingredients and who take pride in making their own things. And I'm just making it convenient for them. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hey, this is Jerry, and you're listening to episode 42 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show, the podcast for and about the people creating a plant-based future and running vegan brands so you can get inspiration and ideas, learn how they got to where they are, what's their approach, and what works when you're setting up your own plant-based business. Before we jump into today's interview, though, there's a major announcement to make. So this is the first episode where I'll be joined officially by Matt Tolman as my co-host. You've heard Matt in episode 27 as a guest, and you've heard us talk about Plant-Based Business Week in episode 40. And of course, if you joined us for Plant-Based Business Week, then you've already seen Matt as an interviewer in some of those talks. And I'm really happy to officially welcome him to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show as well. Well, thanks so much, Jerry, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of the team. You know, as I've uh, joked with you often, um, although it's 100% true, you had a great idea in starting this, um, and it was an idea that I had. And so rather than compete, I'm very happy to be able to lend my voice to this and, and support your efforts. In particular, I guess to share with our audience, um, you know, I'm really going to try to to bring a unique voice to these conversations. You know, one that really digs into some more of the business fundamentals, um, more practical advice for um, our audience to hear about. Um, you know, for me, uh, I know that I've always found this sort of resource to be invaluable um, in, in the various businesses that I've been involved with. Uh, in my career, and I hope that I'll be able to contribute something unique that our audience finds useful. So please let us know to all those listening right now um, how these interviews go. If you like me participating, if you don't, you can vote me off the island. I won't be offended. Um, But I'm really excited, and and again, I just really appreciate all that you're doing and you allowing me to be a part. for the audience, since you asked me to talk a little bit about my background, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to go listen to me ramble on about some of my past in those previous episodes that Jerry just mentioned. You know, I come from a venture capital background and then um, have, have worked on startups in the sustainable energy sector in education technology, and uh, now I'm involved in plant-based startups, uh, either as an investor, as the entrepreneur, or just as a mentor um, in everything from fashion, media, nutrition, health clubs, you know, and I think it's a testament to everything going on in our sector. So I'm excited to lend some of those samples, you know, what little insight I can make up. I'll, I'll definitely try to provide that as well. Um, and again, I'm just really excited to be part of the team. Yeah, and I, for one, am, I'm really happy that you are joining me and adding those insights to, to the talks. I think you're going to be a great addition. I'm actually glad that you decided to join the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show and, and not compete because I think that by collaborating, we... <laughs> We can really achieve more than uh, trying to go against each other. I mean, I I think that holds for for the entire industry anyway. 
and um, I'm also really excited about exploring some more of those um, businesses that you're involved in because um, it's really a unique opportunity to learn the ins and outs of how how a plant-based startup works. Anyway, that's something that will be coming in, in the future. Right about now, how about we transition over to, to our guest this week? Sounds great. You've probably heard that joke before, Matt, but um, you know what the hardest part about being a vegan is? What's that? It's getting up at 5 a.m. To, to milk the almonds. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's an old joke, but one that our guest takes it very seriously. Um, she's super serious about milking nuts, except when she makes nut milking jokes, which she does a lot. She's Liz Hampton. She's the founder of Goodness, and she's joining us today to talk about how she found this passion and why exactly you should be milking your nuts. So, Liz, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Right, thank you for joining us, and I hope I put enough nut milking jokes into that intro. You're Welcome to make another one right now, if you wish. They were fantastic. They, were, they definitely kept coming. <laughs> All right. You, you know the one about the, the 5 a.m. waking up for, for the almonds? I do, actually. Like, people love to send me that meme. I get it at least once a week. <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine. But um, you, you did not grow up on, on an almond farm, did you? <laughs> no, I definitely did not. <laughs> so so what, what is your background? Um, my background is... University of Oregon, where I got my BFA in product design. Um, and I'm from Portland, Oregon, born and raised. I'm told I'm kind of a unicorn because there are not that many of us anymore. Well, I'd love to know how you ended up designing this product. Can you give us a little bit of the, the story behind discovering the, I don't know, I think there's a couple iterations beforehand, right? And then you landed on the, the nut sack. Yeah, so, okay, so I started um, in my, it was the spring term of my BFA year in product design school, um, and it was kind of a free-for-all term, so we could do whatever we wanted, and um, I had a friend who was like, I really like making almond milk, but I hate the mess, like, you should make a product, and I was like, okay, and so I, you know, did some research and started doing it, and then, like, got really deep into it, and then found myself designing a device, and actually that device took me a about I did about a hundred iterations of that device. It was definitely a journey. I learned all the things you cannot do in rapid prototyping, um, like laser cutting, like rubber and things like that. Anyway, so then from there, you know, about so I've been working on the device for about four years, and then about a year ago, I realized that I needed a lot of money to go into production for that device. And um, the device is really cool. It's, it's called the Nut Buster. And it's a manual straining device where you just take your pulp and you add, um, you put it into the device, you twist it, and then you're done. But yeah, like I said, about a year ago, um, I realized that I needed like a million dollars to go into production for that because um, it had all original tooling and all kinds of stuff like that. So then I was like, okay, I should try to get to know my consumer better and find another way into the market instead of launching this really big high-risk product. So I started um, with these DIY nut milk kits. And then one day I realized that I could pre-blend the pulp dry. And if you added the water and let it soak, it would give you the same nut milk as if you were adding the water and then blending it in a blender. So that created the first pre-blended pulp nut milk kit. 
And then about nine months ago, I was sitting with um, some people on my team and we had this like moment of like, well, what if it were a bag inside of a bag? Like, what if it doesn't need to be a device? Like, what if it could just be a reusable tool that uh, made it instantly and consumers wouldn't have to spend a whole bunch of money and, you know, we could just use the pulp and it'd be all fresh ingredients. And yeah, so that's how it came about. And then the utter cap was just a necessity. <laughs> so do you have those uh, 100 iterations documented anywhere? Because I'm, I'm sure that would be a pretty interesting journey through how this thing developed. Yes, I do. I actually have a running document of all of my progress. I highlight probably the top 20 prototypes where I learned the most. Um, from You know, actually, it's funny. The original prototype was actually a paper coffee cup with some cheesecloth tied to like two ends of a coffee cup and it spun inside of the coffee cup. And I'd be happy to share pictures of that. But yeah, I definitely have documented the whole process from every single experiment to like when I cast urethane bands or when I tried to 3D print nylon. And the funny thing was when I started, you couldn't 3D print flexible material. So now 3D printing flexible material is totally easy and accessible. I really, you know, wish it was a couple of years ago, but um, I'm really stoked on the journey and the learning that happened along the way. I can totally relate to the styrofoam cup uh... Uh, prototype. We uh, at some point thought it was a good idea to build our own Wi-Fi routers for the education technology business, um, you know, because we'd be better than Cisco, right? <laughs> and uh, we had nothing to actually keep the antennas pointed up, which, as I learned, is an important factor. You know, we had just bought the chips and did all the soldering and whatnot. And so we used the Kleenex box. So we put the chip inside the Kleenex box, poked the antennas up through them, and then taped it so the antennas would be up as if this was a real router. Um, it was a massive failure. We spent, like, weeks and ended up scrapping it and, and uh, buying super expensive routers from, from Cisco, as it turns out. But uh, it's definitely those fun stories that I have still to this day on my desk at home because it's such a fun thing to look back on. So I really hope you kept those early prototypes because you'll appreciate them when you look back it sounds like you had those hundred iterations, but then the aha moment really came and, and everything, you know, sort of sped to the end. So it was a, a very slow product discovery to some point. And then once you realized that the bag was the key, you know, then everything kind of quickly fell into place. Is that to your understanding how this product design process goes and, and what advice do you have for the entrepreneur, the inventor out there who's you know, on their like 79th iteration and yet like just thinks they're never going to get there. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is I was initially not my consumer. So it that's why I felt like it, it kind of took a while to, to really get to the point where like at, on my journey, I've slowly become my consumer so I could understand what the consumer needed more. And so the cool thing about product design is like you have to have a mind where, you know, you're comfortable with failure. And every failure is just another step in the right direction to figuring it out. Like there's always a win in every time you fail, especially with product design and testing. And I've learned that to anyone who is on their 79th prototype, be kind to yourself and just be patient because it'll happen. You'll have your aha moment and then you'll think it'll be super easy to get to the next stage and then it totally won't be. And then 
you know, you'll go back and forth. And um, that's just the excitement of the journey. It's really a beautiful ride, but you have to like be very resilient and just have faith in yourself and your, um, your excitement to learn. Learning is the biggest part about being um, a product designer and loving what you learn. Yeah. So you're saying that you weren't your own customer at the beginning. So just wanted to know what, what exactly pushed you in, in the direction of not milk stand. Well, yeah, the funny thing was, like, like I mentioned before, I had a friend who was like, I love making almond milk, but I, um, you know, hate the process. And at first, I was just a product designer with an idea. And I was like, Oh, man, this has legs, I'm just gonna roll with it. But then as I did more research, and I started to really see how um, this product could actually impact the world. Um, and like, all the crap that's actually in, you know, the, the dairy milk and the, um, the commercial nut milk, I really realized, I was like, wow, like, I'm consuming stuff that's not good for me. Like, this, this product is for me, too. Um, and I just, you know, I make so much nut milk now that, like, whenever I've, I've tried to sample the commercial stuff and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe people actually drink this. But, um, mm. yeah, I became my own consumer on the journey of discovery, I guess. That, that has got to be a, a one-of-a-kind story, you know. Um, I mean, certainly you often hear that the entrepreneur started out their journey because they just were trying to solve a problem that they had. Um, and, in fact, in, in looking at investments, it's something that I think uh, is kind of a – um, a truism that, you know, you look for the person who knows their market, who knows their customer because they're their customer and they are solving their problem. And yet, I guess you're, you're a testament to the fact that there's an alternative, right? You could just be really passionate about a problem that's not your own and it becomes your own over time. Just, uh, you know, because I have a, a real passion for the health side of the things. Can you educate uh, our audience, Jerry and me and... <laughs> Um, about the difference between homemade nut milk and some of the benefits to your product and, and maybe just a, a quick plug for your Indiegogo campaign on, what is it, October 17th, right? As they're listening and recognizing, wow, I can't believe I, I eat uh, or drink all of that stuff that I didn't realize is so bad for you, um, maybe they'll go out and become your customer afterwards. Cool, yeah. One of my favorite questions. I get to answer it like a thousand times at every farmer's market. <laughs> Get used to it, by the way, because by the end of it, I mean, I used to have dreams about my pitch for the software because I'd make it eight times a day, you know, so you, yeah. you, you're good just at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got to, you know, get my stamina going. Um, but yeah, so basically, um, the commercial nut milk, it only has like 2% nuts in it. And it is, like, full of additives and sugar and mostly water. So, so the nut milk companies are battling the dairy companies, trying to get people to make a switch. So in order to do that, they use some of the similar vitamins um, that are used in dairy milk to, like, the synthetic vitamins um, to mimic that. So the texture is similar. You know, it's um, an easier transition for people. So because of that, uh, it just results in a not super nutritious milk. So... If you really want to get the health benefits from a nut milk, you have to drink it cold-pressed and raw, which means it's been processed without any heat. So, like, all the enzymes, you know, are alive, basically. And so, yeah, when, when all the enzymes are alive, everything's more bioavailable to you. So 
It's just you're able to actually get the benefits like the heart healthiness, you know, the, the vitamin E that's going to help your skin, um, that kind of stuff. So, and then also the best part is when you make your own nut milk, um, you have the leftover pulp. And a lot of people are like, I just throw it away because I don't know what to do with it. But like, oh my gosh, don't throw it away. There is so much you can do with that pulp. My favorite thing is to add some oats and chia and flax and like agave and peanut butter, mix them into balls and they become energy superfood balls. You can make a body scrub, like the options are endless. And the pulp retains actually about two-thirds of the nutrients after it's been strained. So it's a really good protein source in a smoothie. You could even replace um, your protein, replace your protein powder with your pulp if you want. Um, so it's a really great, you know, uh, two-for-one value. And then what our product does is it just it makes it so much easier for you to be able to do that. Our whole goal um, as a company is to make fresh nut milk more accessible. The current products on the market that help you make it are really big and bulky and expensive and hard to clean. Or the current nut milking bags are really messy and it's just like a whole ordeal. So with our product, um, you just add the water to the pulp. You let it, you shake it up. Um, you can let it soak overnight if you want it to be really creamy. And then you just strain it through the udder, like right into your cup. And then you have fresh nut milk. So it completely simplifies the process. Do you call it an udder or a nutter with an N? I go back and forth. Our logo, okay. her name is Nutters. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, the little nut with Nutters. <laughs> uh, and so it's raw, too. That's definitely, I didn't get that from some of the marketing materials. That, but that's a huge plus, especially for the community that you're serving. You know, all those enzymes and, and the, obviously because you have the, the nutrient degradation, when it's heated, you're really getting the highest quality across the board, not just obviously with the, the live enzymes and prebiotics. Yeah, you know, and our pulp, so we never use any um, processed or refined sugars or anything like that. Our pulps are only sweetened um, with dried fruit. So, for example, one of our recipes um, is sweetened with dates and goji berries, and then another recipe is sweetened with dates and figs. So that way, like, you know, you can really trust what's in there, like, we only use whole ingredients. So it's it's just like you've made the pulp yourself at home. Yeah, and I think that from just what you said, it's not just raw, but the whole unprocessed and no extra chemicals added, that's probably a huge plus for, for your target audience as well. Because I know that for um, my or, or our nut milk purchases, the big thing is that my wife pretty much scans all the ingredients, and if it has any gelling agents, which nut milks and plant milks in, in general do, then it goes back on the shelf. So I've noticed that it's actually pretty hard to, to find a nut milk that doesn't have any carbon. Carrageenan. Yes, so apparently you're not supposed to drink that. I, I leave those decisions to my wife, but um, I, I think that if, if we had an easier way of, of making our own milk, then um, this this would definitely be an option for, for us as well. Anyway, the, the bigger question that I wanted to ask was that um, you're, you're going after a pretty big market. So the nut milks are the, the fastest growing plant-based sector. They, they're probably also the biggest sector of the... Um, plant foods industry right now as it compares to, to regular foods. So just from a business standpoint, why tackle that? 
Yeah, you know, so on the big scope, it's like a, a ginormous market, but I've managed to find this little niche that hasn't really been addressed yet. And we're building what I like to call the milk it yourself movement. So everyone can milk it themselves. But yeah, the thing about it is there's not really um, a lot of information on making it yourself. Like there are videos on YouTube and things like that. Um, And there are cold pressed nut milk companies that you can find. But, you know, those nut milks run for from at least eight to thirteen dollars for 16 ounces. And so I realized that, like, the biggest value for people is to be able to make it and utilize the pulp after. And, yeah, that's just something that I think people assume that because the current nut milk on the market is so convenient that people aren't going to take the time to make their nut milk. I'm proving that wrong by showing that there are a lot of people who want to do it themselves and want to control their ingredients um, and who take pride in making their own things. And I'm just making it convenient for them. I think it's a brilliant idea because, you know, it is such a massive market. But to your point, there is, I think, equally massive segment that really will respond positively to this stuff. I mean, I'm definitely one of them because of Caragene. And and, uh, I have the reverse role. I'm I'm the one reading the nutrient information on on each one of uh, our products. My my wife then gets angry because I won't let us buy certain things. But you you mentioned the milk it yourself movement. You know, I'm I'm a huge fan of your marketing. I think you're extremely talented in that area. And it seems like you're going after a couple different pain points with this product. You know, one obviously is the mess and the headache and the difficulty around making your own milk without a product like yours. Another one obviously is the health component. You know, all those additives and preservatives and you know, you name it in, you know, your mainstream processed milk. I'm curious how you think about your marketing and and sort of some of the um, any tips you can give to our audience, because, you know, I think you're definitely spot on to try to create a movement around this and obviously a community. You know, you're you're talking about producing recipes and how to use the pulp afterwards. So seems like you're really thinking about this in a strategic and very smart way. So I'm just curious if you can educate our audience a little bit about how you're thinking about it and how you make those decisions, because obviously it seems like you're tackling a lot. And for a small team, I'd love to just learn a little bit more how you think about it. Cool. Um, Well, first off, I love that it comes across as me being very strategic, because honestly, I just love making the nut jokes. It's really what keeps me going um, on the dark days. <laughs> really, you know, down. It's just like, man, I I got nut jokes. And then, you know, utilizing the squirrel and then the peanut costume. You know, you'll see those in a lot of my videos and our characters. Um, but really, the um, the whole purpose behind like why I went this route with the marketing is, you know, is because of accessibility. Like I mentioned before, like I wasn't my consumer when I started, and I found the transition to be coming, like living more of a plant-based lifestyle and everything like that to be very intimidating. I found a lot of communities to be really intimidating, and I didn't really feel like I was welcome unless I was like ready to like just dive in head first and be fully immersed. And so I was like, well, what makes people feel more comfortable than anything? It's like laughing. And so we went with the nut jokes and I was like, you know what? Milk your nuts. Like just do it guys. You know, nut jokes are the way to go because 
you know, people feel good when they laugh. They feel welcome when they laugh. And the nut jokes are a way to show everyone that like, hey, you don't need to change your lifestyle overnight to want to enjoy making fresh nut milk. Like you don't need to um, be this idea of what society needs you to be to be someone who wants to make fresh nut milk. You can just, you know, it's the small changes that make the biggest difference. Um, and we just like want to support people doing them. And the nut jokes just come really naturally. And I don't know, it's, it's almost too easy to make them. You know, when I get on a roll, they just keep, they just keep coming. <laughs> so I guess we have to get you on the roll and, and see what happens here. But, you know, on, on that note, I, I have to thank you for making me spray water all over my keyboard the, the first time that I saw your um, your promo video for for the Indiegogo campaign. Yeah. Which video was it? That that was the the first time. The first, first time, time milking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really wanted to ask you how many takes did it take you to get that one wrapped? Because I I simply can't imagine that everyone involved was keeping a straight face throughout the, the shooting that, that was being <laughs> talked about there? I mean, it took a while, but what I really like to do with um, most of our videos is like I roughly script things, but then I really, I really believe in improv so people can be their most authentic selves. And so, you know, we just, I think it took each person um, that we interviewed, you know, like a half hour. We just kind of like, you know, but Keeping the straight face is definitely hard. At this point, I've gotten really used to it. And people are like, that's not fair. You can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> I'm just like, that makes the joke better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a journey. And honestly, when I first got started shooting the videos, I would have to have a beer or two before because I'd be so nervous. And I like just like was like, okay, let's, let's do this. But now they just, you know... The jokes are just so fun and being on camera is so fun that it just happens. We didn't actually touch on this when we talked about your background, but do you have any background in, in theater or improv or, or anything like that? No, not at all. I guess I'm just a character. <laughs> this comes naturally. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Portland. We're weird, right? <laughs> well, Portland, Oregon, because I'm sitting in Portland, Maine, and it's a very different vibe, let me tell you. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> But there's good lobster over there, right? <laughs> yeah, but remember, this is a plant-based entrepreneurs show, so I'm not enjoying it at the moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although there is a – we got to get – Jerry, we got to get on the uh, podcast. Um, I think I just saw a new startup that's, like, perfected the crab meat and lobster texture and, you know, all the rage in Asia, I, I think. I don't know. I, I got to look into it. But um real, real quick on on the marketing videos because again I, I just think they're brilliant and i really i, I hope and i imagine that they're going to go viral are those actors that you paid and what kind of budget just you know for the business owner who's sitting back and saying like hey i'm creative and i'm a character and i could do these things even if i don't have the nut jokes to to leverage but talk to us about you know were those professionals or just friends did you bootstrap this stuff or go into it with a little bit of a budget um yeah so it's funny because uh one of my friends the other day told me she was like man it looks like you have like a huge marketing budget and I was like oh that's sweet because it's like done on nothing all the people in the videos are all my friends I had a couple like I've had everyone from my dad to my best friend to my product designer wear the squirrel suit um 
And so like, yeah, just people are willing to like get in and have fun in terms of like the process of making the videos. Um, I've been making the videos for at least three years um, and had have had some bad luck with working with someone and then not getting the footage I was supposed to get, you know, on and off. Uh, one thing I would tell people is um, it's worth it to spend a decent amount of money uh, up front on someone who does good work and who will actually follow through and give you what you worked on. Cause I probably spent more than I should have on footage I never got. Um, and so now I, you know, I'm, people still work with me. The people who I'm working with now still give me a really, really reasonable budget because they believe in the product and they believe in making these nut jokes happen and spreading the nut love. But you can do a lot on a really small budget. You can make some good videos for under $1,000. And one thing that I've done is actually all those videos that you saw, they were all shot on the same day, and they were all part of one ginormous script. And then we just edited them separately. So that's a way to save money. I'm just going to have a very technical question here because um... – well, one of the things that uh, my wife is also extremely good at, apart from checking out all the labels, is she's a regular Steven Spielberg behind the camera. So we've got like two DSLRs and teleprompters and lighting and, and all of that. So what, what kind of equipment did you use there to, to film all of this? Oh, you'd have to ask my video people. I know they had really nice equipment and it was all their own equipment. I have recently uh, been, well... Should I give shout-outs to people? Like, is that cool? Go right ahead. So my first round of videos I shot with some people, and then I had another editor come in, and her name's Lisa Bolden. And she works with some DSLR camera that's really awesome, and she has a great team. And uh, all I know is, like, it all felt really legit when we were doing it, and I totally felt like a movie star. <laughs> so there were video people behind all of that. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely not us just on an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely didn't look like it was shot on an iPhone, but uh, I, I just wanted to check because you were saying that it was really pulled together on, on a shoestring. So, but yeah, yeah, definitely looks quality. I would say like as an entrepreneur, like one of my better skills is resourcefulness and getting people stoked on helping. So that is kind of why um, we are able to pull it together on a smaller budget. Um, because I mean, everyone just loves making nut jokes. So they're just down. That's really, <laughs> that's really what it is for people out there trying to do it. Like, just be willing to ask, be honest with the video person that you're working with that like, Hey, this is my budget. What can we do on this? Like with this amount of money and they'll be willing to work with you. There's always someone. Yeah. You mentioned the resourcefulness. I'm pretty sure that's the definition of entrepreneurial. Um, and I think it is literally probably the most important thing that I would tell people is that like between being resourceful and being persistent, like if you do those things, you'll always find uh, a solution to whatever the problem is. And the problem usually relates to sales. So, you know, being persistent and being resourceful generally solves those problems. Um, I'm curious uh, about the Indiegogo campaign, um, which again is October 7th. Everyone should mark their calendars. Tell us why you decided to go with Indiegogo and if there was even a debate between that or Kickstarter. 
Um, I know just from a practical standpoint, I'm always curious why people chose one or the other. And then, you know, why did you decide to go that route? What are some of the steps that you did to get you and the team ready for that? Yeah, so um, I actually was going to the entire time I've been working on this company, I was always going to do a Kickstarter. So I've almost launched a Kickstarter like every six months for the past four years. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just wasn't right. And then, you know, I was looking into it and I realized that I wanted to be my authentic self and go the route that I was true to me and true to the brand, which was funny. Um, and Kickstarter is more of a platform for serious tech, like really dope products. And so I was like, Indiegogo is more fun and playful. And I feel like the people who go there on a regular basis are going to appreciate the humor and, um, the, the love behind the brand more. So that was a big reason I made the switch. Um, I also made the switch because I could do not fixed funding so I could keep whatever money was raised. Um, and that was just kind of comforting for me, especially after years of building it up. Like I can't believe um, four years is now coming down to what, like five days. <laughs> and yeah, so Indiegogo just was just more fun and playful. So I went that route. I also discovered that there are more female consumers on Indiegogo than there are on Kickstarter. So that is generally more of my target. Um, we do have a lot of male consumers, but in terms of demographics and, you know, how the internet works, reaching out to people and getting help and traction um, is probably my biggest pain point and nervous point, but really exciting. You know, it's like, okay, it's the time to really reach out to people and see how much people like this. It's time to put money in into like ads and to really spread the word. So with the team, we've been focusing a lot on outreach. Our party is going to be a really big, fun event. I think we have like 150 to 200 people RSVP'd. And so I'm like, sweet. All right. That's the plus side of taking four years to um, launch is a lot of people are waiting for it. And then, yeah, just, you know, telling the team that like, let's just do the best that we can and whatever happens, happens. And then we can evaluate from there. But it's time. And a lot of people have been like, well, are you sure this is happening? This is happening. You need to maybe delay it again. I'm like, not this time. We're not delaying it. We're doing it no matter how unready I feel because I'll never feel ready. But I think it's going to go well. Things are really starting to get put into place. And there are a lot of gifts in our campaign. So look out for that because they're really fun. Just it's going to be a really exciting day. And our funding goal is $20,000. And it's so we can go into our first round of production for the goodness sacks. First of all, I'm, I'm really curious about the, the gifts that you mentioned. And um, since this episode is going to be coming out on just one day after you, you launched the Indiegogo campaign, can you share a little bit about what's, uh, what's in store there? Yeah, so I discovered how to use Giphy, and so I've taken all of my funny videos and made a lot of really fun GIFs with them. And so it just like takes the best moments of each video, and I'm using that to show you how the product works and things like that. Our reward tiers are going to be super awesome. We have, you know, like big bags of pulp, things like that. At our highest reward tier, we even have a trip to a cabin in Mount Hood where you just like 
get nut milk all weekend. It'll be amazing. Do you get the squirrel suit as well? Oh, I could definitely include the squirrel suit. If people want it, they can totally use it. <laughs> But yeah, I've designed the campaign to be very true to our brand. We don't really follow the same guidelines that you'll see most campaigns follow. Like I mentioned, our video, like our pitch video is along the lines of our um, campaign videos more. Um, and then I have a secondary video where I explain things a little bit more, you know, seriously to show people like, I am a real person. I'm not just a character who makes that jokes. <laughs> yeah. I, and I have to say that just on what you brought up before about feeling ready or not feeling ready or people telling you that you're not ready yet at, at some point, And this, I think just builds on what Matt said before about the qualities that make an entrepreneur. At some point you just have to go and do it because you can wait a whole lifetime to, to be ready or you can just keep iterating and, and getting closer to something that you think will be perfect. But unless you actually go and, and put it out, you're not even going to know if that's what the market wants. So, Yeah, you know, and there's like, there's that saying that I remember, um, I don't remember who told me it, but the saying, it's like, if you are super, super proud of what you put out and you're not even slightly embarrassed mm -hmm. or just one thing, you know, you waited too long. Yeah, and I'm like, I feel that. Like, you got to just do it. And that's one thing I really learned, actually, when I started um, selling the kits, is I started selling it because I was like, I need to know what it feels like to interact with my consumer and what it feels like to sell and what it feels like to get feedback, because otherwise I'm not going to make any progress and I'll stay stuck in this development stage. And so there's no better lesson than action. And at a certain point, honestly, you start, you kind of like, Every time, you know, you fail or you, the things that you thought would happen, happen that are scary happen, you're just like, that actually wasn't that bad. No one really noticed that I messed that up. Like I accidentally sent out um, an invitation to my most important people that had a typo in it. And I was like, oh, man, I meant to send a different file. But whatever, you know, it still got the message across. <laughs> Did anyone point it out to you? No, no. Just, well, my one friend did. She was like, hey, the I in Indiegogo is on a different line in this one. And I was like, oh, man, I was sending the wrong file the entire time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's always amazing how big of a deal those things are to us. And then you realize, like, most people spend literally less than five seconds as they, like, either delete it or forward it or, you know, come back to it later in their inbox. But, you know, it's, it's such a incredible thing to us you know from our perspective um yeah so uh i'm, I'm curious and this is sort of a, a bigger question um and i don't mean to put you on the spot but um aside from typos and i know you've you know been working the crowd in in uh, grocery stores from time to time so I'm, i'm curious if you can reflect back on this nearly four-year journey you know what's been the most fun part and what's been the least fun part Okay, so the most fun part is definitely anything nut joke related. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, making the videos, I absolutely love doing that. I love brainstorming with my team about, you know, like, oh yeah, we could do this video. And like the first time video has been in the making for years. And people are like, no, that's, that's so off the cuff. Like people are going to be offended. I'm like, whatever, let's just, it's hilarious. We have to do it. So those moments are the most fun. 
the most difficult challenging moments are, you know, I mentioned earlier, like the dark days um, where you wake up and you're like, okay, I just tested prototype 95 and it didn't work. And I thought this would be the one and it isn't like having to like take a deep breath, you know, take a self-care day and be okay with taking a self-care day, not being down on yourself for like taking time to reflect and recoup and just like learning to move forward. Those days are really hard. There are people who talk about the entrepreneurial story as a whole and, but there's no one who ever really talks about the day to day because you can't really talk about the day to day unless you read someone's, you know, diary where it's like, man, today really sucked. And then I feel like a total failure. But then like, the next day you're like, hey, I killed it today. I'm totally freaking awesome. So just the emotional roller coaster of being an entrepreneur and um, doing things outside of your comfort zone uh, is very difficult. But I feel like I'm starting to get the hang of it. Uh, but yeah, I would anyone who says that they're not like scared or don't struggle at all, they're I think they're totally full of it. <laughs> I would tend to agree and uh, actually in the last couple of years there's been much more discussion I think it's it's really necessary um, you know in the entrepreneurial community um, and obviously we only represent a subsect of the you know plant-based entrepreneurial community but more broadly and particularly if you look at Silicon Valley and you know, tech crunch and indie hackers and everything else there's definitely a much uh, a much larger focus on depression and self care and all these things because it's it's so true you know I mean we all idolize Richard Branson and Steve Jobs and all these people who you know in hindsight looking at their career over decades it's like wow they they just hit it out of the park and everything's a winner but it's like you know when you and obviously Steve Jobs is a probably the best example having been fired from his own company and then you know his uh next company which was you know called next you know was effectively a failure you know um and it's like but only after so long you know just that persistence and continuing down the the path um do do you ultimately get to that kind of success where everyone looks and says like oh, she had it in her the whole time, you know? It's like, well, yeah, but it certainly doesn't feel that way as you get, you know, your 99th no as you're trying, you know, but those make the best stories, right? It's like, uh, what, Colonel Sanders, didn't he get, like, 2,497 no's for his chicken recipe before founding KFC? And, like, yeah, it's crazy, crazy. So, anyway, but I I definitely appreciate you sharing that, and I, I think it's, a good lesson for us all to to hear and reflect on more because um you know otherwise we all think that everyone's you know everyone's just killing it and has no troubles at all um when it's not true you know we're all lying to ourselves every day just to keep going yeah well and you know on that note like I had one friend who she really helped me. Um, It was in the really early stage of the company. It was after I had to leave my first partner and like I was super scared because I was like, oh my gosh, like how am I going to do this without someone, you know? And she was, she told me, she was like, you need to be kind to yourself. Like above all else, you have to remember to be kind to yourself. And I was just like, well, I want to be like this, and I want to hit this goal by this. And she was like, look, you can't compare your Chapter 10 to someone else's Chapter 30. And I was like, you know, that's true. Like, it all happens on our own 
our own timeline. Like if I don't make the Forbes 30 under 30 list, it's not going to be the end of the world, but it's definitely a goal. Um, and then, Hey, they say it takes 10 years to become an overnight success anyway. So <laughs> I'm like, I only have six. That's, left. A, <laughs> that's a great saying. Yeah. I'm thinking it's sometimes it's even a pretty generous estimate. To be honest. But, um, you know, one, one thing that I'm really curious about and we haven't touched on it yet, even though we've been talking about challenges for, for the past couple of minutes, um, you have a background in, in product design. And now here you are, you're, you're designing something which essentially is, is in the food industry. So um, how was it making that switch or, or getting into that particular muddy pond there? Oh man, that journey. I've always intended for there to be a food element to the company, but I thought that that would come after we launched the product. So the product would come, we'd have all this money, and then we could hire someone to do all the food innovation. And man, I was super wrong about that. So out of the blue, I found myself like being a food entrepreneur and having to learn about the food industry. So what I did is I got a job um, doing sales for a company called Bakerpedia, which is a, um, it's an online resource for the commercial baking industry that is like an encyclopedia um, that allows commercial bakers to be able to um, look up information quickly. So I took a job there, which allowed me to become immersed in a commercial food industry. So I was able to go to these trade shows and um, learn more about how the processes were done. And my boss, she had a, a PhD in food science. So I would just constantly pick her brain about like, what moisture level do I need to be for it to be food safe without having to add like preservatives, you know, and things like that. So getting a job um, in the industry that actually, you know, was more than just like working food service uh, was essential to getting me to here. Um, I learned really quickly that I don't want to produce it myself, so I need to get a co-packer, um, someone who can blend the pulp for me um, and work with me, um, you know, so I'm not in the kitchen all the time. I still definitely make the milk myself and spend hours milking nuts um, for every farmer's market, um, <laughs> but um, just learning about the processes from a B2B standpoint was essential um, for me to get to this point. And I still have so much more to learn, you know, like right now figuring out how to register everything with the FDA, get the proper nutrition labels, you know, all that kind of stuff. The food industry, it's a hard industry to get into because, you know, you have people's lives in your hands, you know, you can't make them, you want to make sure you, they don't get sick from your product, especially when it's a raw product and things like that. I totally connect with that. I just saw uh, an email from one of our customers saying that she was giving our supplement product to her uh, one-and-a-half-year-old, and it, like, rocked my world. You know, it's like I'm so glad that I've inspected every inch of our manufacturer's mm -hmm. facility because, you know, it just takes it to a whole another level of importance when I think about, you know, uh, children using our, our product. But So I, I, my heart goes out to you there. Uh, Jerry, you had a question that I cut you off. Yeah, no, I just wanted to kind of wrap this up with the the whole overcoming adversities and, and getting through the hard times. So, you know, what would you say to an aspiring entrepreneur who's 
kind of not not necessarily in the food industry, but in any sort of industry, and just trying to juggle all the different needs of of a young business. I would say, um, like like I've said a couple times, like be kind to yourself, take breaks when you need them, but hustle your ass off, and like just. Just believe in the power of you. You can do a lot more than you think you can, even on the days where you don't feel like you can. Um, and yeah, just do it because you're going to be dope. You just you know if you think you're dope, everyone else is going to think you're dope. And even if they don't, it doesn't matter because you're creating something that you care about. And that's ultimately going to make the world a better place. I can uh, certainly agree with that and echo with you know i think what you're doing very well is um you know connecting with your tribe and that whole idea of creating a movement and you know there are going to be a lot of naysayers there are certainly going to be a number of people who just do not understand the desire for almond milk probably because they're still drinking cow's milk but you know getting distracted on that what might be a larger market um would totally dilute your brand and uh make you that much more ineffective so go after that niche and uh, and connect with the people who will think you're dope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm giving you there's thumbs up for people who can't see. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised your thumbs don't have blisters all over them. You know, from all the the nut milking. Oh, I wear gloves. It protects me. <laughs> so um, you know, now that we're kind of getting to to the end of this, um, what's if we're just looking a bit broader, what what are your goals for for goodness? Are you are you planning to milk other nuts than than almonds as well, or um, where where do you want to take this? Yeah. So after we get funded, my goal is to start the scaling process. I, we started with almonds because it's what people are most familiar with, but we definitely are going to expand into other nuts. Actually, the Indiegogo campaign will be the first time that we're going to be offering a mixed nut pulp um, as a base flavor. And then after that, we're going to expand into seeds like, you know, chia seeds and flax seeds, um, hemp seeds. We're really just going to take it as far as we can and try to milk everything. I I really think you can milk everything. So (laughs) we're going to do that. And then my goal is to, you know, um, get to national expansion within the next couple of years ideally within the next like two years and then um, hit the international market after that. I know that Australia is the next biggest consumer of nut milk. So um, after America, that's our goal. Uh, But really we're just trying to create the milk it yourself movement and show the world that not everything needs nipples to be milked. And and as far as the business go again, because you know, just from a, a practical standpoint, I'd love to hear how you're thinking about it. Um, You know, you're working with a co-packer. Obviously, you're a, a one-woman marketing machine. Um, what, what are your thoughts on growth? You know, do you do you see yourself building out a, a bigger team? You know, are you going to have your own facility, take over the manufacturing? I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, I have visions of a nice big team. I actually hate working alone. I will call anyone during the day just to sit by someone else to work. So I love getting people on my team and growing the team. So that's really big. I I absolutely hate micromanaging. So um, I'd really love to give anyone, you know, the people who come on my team full autonomy 
to really like do them. And so we can all grow together. Um, I think that's the best way to build a company. Um, so yeah, my vision is a really dope office. I'd really like to have like multiple rooms with different like environments for everyone to like, kind of like, Ooh, this is what I'm feeling today. Um, that would also include a facility for uh, manufacturing and production. Um, I'd really like to eventually bring the, um, the production of the goodness sack back to America, um, and be totally American made right now. It's all in our funding to be able to do it. Um, we have to start somewhere, but yeah, I want to make it like I used, like what I like to tell people is my vision is Dyson meets Burt's bees, like exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so just uh, an innovation hub. Like, I see goodness as a wellness brand, and I intend on eventually, like, developing the product line outside of products that make nut milk or milks at all um, with other innovations because this is definitely not my only invention. I have a lot of those up my sleeve. So, yeah. You're going to be making jokes about that as well? Oh, yeah, there will always be jokes. <laughs> What's your favorite one about the nuts, by the way? My favorite one is, okay, it's a, it's kind of a quote. It's, uh, I put my pants on like the rest of you, one leg at a time, except once my pants are on, I milk nuts. <laughs> it's, uh, it's from a Christopher Walken sketch on uh, SNL, except he's talking about making hit records. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so for everyone wondering where where to find more info about um, goodness and um, of course get on the Indigo campaign, where where should they go? All right. So for more information on goodness, just go to milkyournuts.com. I can say it again, milkyournuts.com. It's super easy to remember. We'll have a link there that will redirect to the Indiegogo page. Um, But if you want to go directly to Indiegogo, that's totally cool too. In order to back a project on Indiegogo, you have to create an account. So just know that that's part of the process. Um, And, yeah, you just go to Indiegogo, type in goodness. But, um, yeah, milkyournuts.com. And then our Instagram is at milkyournuts. Just everything milkyournuts, and you can find us. (laughs) Awesome. Well, um, thank you very much for that. Uh, we're definitely going to be including all of this in uh, in the show notes as well. But in case someone missed it, that's milkynuts.com. Did I get it right? Yep, perfect. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Liz, for, um, for joining us. And good luck with um, milking those nuts. <laughs> Thanks for letting me milk it today. <laughs> all right, thank you. <laughs> Alright, so this was episode 42 of the Plan-Based Entrepreneur Show with Liz Hampton from Goodness. If you want to support her Indiegogo campaign or if you want to know more about Milky Nuts or any other stuff that we covered on this episode, you can find it all in the show notes if you go to theplanbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 042. That's where you'll find the links to what we discussed, the main takeaways of this episode and Right now, you can also get the show transcripts. So this is a new feature that we're just testing out. And if you like it, please let us know. And of course, please let us know how you like this two-host format for the podcast that we just introduced. You can send everything directly to me by email on jerry at plantbasedentrepreneur.com. 
thank you again for being with us. As I've already mentioned, we'll be making some big changes with the plant-based entrepreneur going forward and your comments and suggestions are crucial so we can keep creating the best kind of content for inspiring you and helping you with your business. I'll talk to you again soon. Till then, stay awesome and remember, the future is plant-based.